This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Oh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Very nice to be here with you. I'd like to begin by reading to you uh, from a T-shirt that I own. I haven't worn it yet. Uh, once I read it to you, you might realise why I'm not sure if I'm going to read it. But um, it's by Reg Mombasa. At least that's his pen name. Uh, it's one of the Mambo T-shirts. Australian Jesus at the football. Uh, I think we've got a close-up on the words here. Here we go. So you've got the picture. Here are the words. The miracle of the pies and beer from the book of Reg. And it came to pass that Australian Jesus addressed a multitude of 40,000 people at the SCG on his spoken word tour of New South Wales. The day was long and hot, so he said to his assistants, They are tired and hungry, give ye them refreshment. And they said unto him, We have but five beer, sorry, we have but five pies and two cans of warm beer. So Australian Jesus cast his eyes to heaven and began to hand out the pies and beer until all did eat and were filled. And the beer was cold. It was good. Now, please don't be offended. What's he doing? Well, he's mocking us, I guess. Most Australians don't have much time for churches. I guess they, they feel churches are distant, irrelevant, don't really understand their lives or engage with them. And yet, as you talk, so many Australians have a positive attitude towards Jesus. But how much more positive would they be to Australian Jesus? Now, maybe pies and beer aren't your thing. Well, I might depend how hungry and thirsty you are. But Australian Jesus, the way Reg Mombasa puts it, why would they be attracted to him? Well, he knows what the problem is. He knows what we need. He cares what we need and he's able to deliver. They, they would listen. Who wouldn't trust someone like that? Uh, a Jesus who is good, who wants what's best for us, who is wise, who knows what's best for us and is able to deliver. What I'd like to do is to look at that story that was just read for us so nicely and just pull it apart and show, you know, the real Jesus is actually much closer to Australian Jesus than you might have thought. Good, wise, able to deliver. Uh, let me walk you through the story. Uh, I've, uh, I've got the text of the New International Version, but very close to the one that you have in front of you, the Bible's in the pew. So let's read the story. I'll make a few comments. We'll see. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus' disciples had also been invited to the wedding. This happens uh, early in the, the public ministry of Jesus. He's still, how can I put it, collecting disciples. He's been invited along with his mother to the wedding. The scholars tell me that in those days a wedding feast, well, I guess today still in the Middle East, a wedding feast would last a week. Why? Well, if you've walked 100 kilometres to get to a wedding and you're given a sandwich, a cup of tea and said thanks for coming, you probably would be unimpressed. It's, it's people travel, you look after them for a week. There's a lot of planning that goes into a wedding. Uh, my second daughter announced her engagement a couple of weeks ago. And so now as I watch, there's a whole lot of decisions being made that are well above my pay grade. Uh, I remember our youngest got married four years ago. And uh, it's a lot of work. I got tired just watching Kathy organise. It was amazing. 
Now, if you've had family weddings, you know how much pressure there's on, how much the catering matters. Can you imagine if um, at my youngest wedding, uh, people had travelled from interstate, Kathy's family came from Brisbane, they stayed overnight, it took days to organise it all. My, my family travelled from the north coast of New South Wales. A lot of my family like a drink too. Can you imagine halfway through the wedding, someone's messed up the catering and there's no more grog, no wine, no beer. Who is it exactly that wants to go out and make that announcement? Guess what, folks? We've got um, Warragamba 2018 for the next three days. No one. And that's exactly what happens at the wedding. The wine runs out. No one wants to make the announcement. Um, you see, verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, I have no more wine. Uh, the wine's gone. They're not telling anyone. How are we going to cover this? You imagine the loss of face, particularly when hospitality is such a big deal in the Middle East. Uh, the loss of face, it's it, the young couple, their special time, and that'll be a mess, and the family, and uh, what do they do? Jesus' mother knows he's the go-to man. So when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. I think it's interesting that she just comes to him and tells him the problem and expects that he'll do something about it. Hard to imagine, well, I guess, unless you've ever had a mother. Um, what does he say to her? She expects him to be able to do something. He says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. The woman thing is not, that's not rude or harsh. It's, a, it's an idiom, just the way that, that you would speak to your mum. Uh, but notice he says, my hour has not yet come. Well, come, come back to that. What does he mean? Well, I think what he means is, Mum, I didn't plan this. I didn't plan to, you know, do anything special. I just came to a wedding. This isn't in the strategic plan. Oh, it's not kind of convenient. And then she just says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She knows he'll fix it. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons. Um, if you're under 40, um, 20 to 30 gallons is about 100 litres. If you can imagine a four, half of a 44-gallon drum, there's six of those lined up. Did you notice um, the kind used for the ceremonial washing? In the, in the first century, the Jewish people uh, were... Uh, did ritual washings of so many things. In Mark's Gospel, he tells us when they, they came back from the marketplace, they would, they would wash their hands, they'd wash cups, plates, pitchers, etc. Why? Not for germs, but because they believed that those ritual washings, those religious actions, is what would make you acceptable to God. Somehow washing the hands in a certain way, going through a particular ritual is, is what would make you acceptable. Now, you know, that's not so common in our society, but it's still there if you look for it. So, you know, holy water, the, the, uh, the ritual of the first communion or confirmation or get the kid christened or whatever it is, religious actions, turning up at church at certain times, that that's, that's just what you do, isn't it? Well, the story continues. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom beside and said, 
Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Now that's, uh, I got the calculator out, 600 litres is the equivalent of 800 bottles, the very best wine. I want to ask you, is that hard to believe? I, I don't mean the miracle, but I'm happy to talk about that later, the miracle of, you know, can God turn water into wine? Well, depends on your presuppositions. No, no, when I ask is it hard to believe is this. If God turned up, would he actually want you to enjoy yourself? If God turned up, would he actually want you to enjoy yourself? Uh, and, and the other thing you notice if you read it carefully, not only does Jesus bake an over-the-top amount of wine in the middle of the wedding, but he does it under the radar so that the bridegroom gets the credit. It's only the disciples and his mum who knew that he'd done this. So he does it over-the-top generosity, kind of saves the day and does it quietly so the family saves face. Do you actually believe that God or the Son of God wants us to enjoy life? Now, I know that's not the impression given by so many uh, religious institutions or a lot of Christians walk around looking like they've just sucked on a lemon. I, I know that. But what do you believe? Do you actually believe that God wants us to enjoy life? I think that's the fundamental question of whether or not and how we respond to him. Uh, what does it all mean? Uh, Jesus does this thing. What does it mean? Well, John tells us in, in the last verse. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And the word believed could equally be uh, translated as they trusted him. They trusted him. Okay, what does it mean? Notice uh, John says a sign, right? signs. The events that we might call miracles, in John's Gospel, they're referred to as signs. And what does a sign do? A sign points to something greater than itself. The exit sign is not all that important, but it points to the exit, which is the most important thing. So in John, when Jesus does what we might call a miracle, they actually point to something, well, to him, to something about him. I'll give you a couple of examples, you'll, you'll understand. Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000 with you know with a with a few rolls of bread and and then he says uh, feeds the five thousand with with five loaves of bread and then says I am the bread of life whoever believes in me will will live or he opens the eyes of a blind man and then says I am the light of the world or he raises Lazarus from the dead and then says I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me will live and so what are this, this sign, which way does it point? Well, actually, it points, it points back and forward, back and forward. In the Old Testament, when the prophets speak about, about heaven, about the renewed creation, they talk about it as a whole new uh, a feast, if you like, where food and wine is laid on. It's, kind of, it's very physical. Uh, Renee read it for us in Isaiah chapter 25. Here's a clip of it. It says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Here's, here's what's a little surprising. When the Old Testament talks about heaven, it's actually surprisingly earthy. Okay? Uh, 
it's the idea of food and wine and joy and being with the people that you love. And I think if you have eyes to see it, you get a glimpse of heaven now and then. You get a glimpse here. And I, I think the glimpse almost always involves the people you love and good food. Uh, in January, if I make it, uh, I turn 60 in the middle of January. And uh, we've got a house down at Mollymook on the south coast with, with my kids and uh, with Kathy and I with our kids and their partners and uh, a couple of grandkids. What do I want for my 60th? Well, there's a restaurant down there that my daughter's found. We've booked a table for 11 people and uh, they'll all sit around and we'll fill up the table with food and I just want to sit back and watch them bounce off each other. And that, that's all I want for my 60th. It'll be wonderful. And you know what? That's going to be a little glimpse of heaven. And if you think about the people you love and good food and time together, my guess is it is for you as well. And what does Jesus say later in John's Gospel? He says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus promised not only the best life now, but one day a renewed creation where there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain or heartache. The question is whether we believe him. See, let me, let me ask you, do, do you actually believe that Jesus knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us and is able to deliver that. Uh, there's many people I know who, who think the Christian message is probably true but they won't live it out. Why? Because they don't believe that Jesus is good or they don't believe he's wise and uh, so they won't, won't listen. Let me show you three ways I think that the, that, that the average Australian doesn't believe that Jesus is good and wise. How? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We don't trust God because we take the good things God gives us and we won't listen to him about how to use them. We take the good things God gives us, yes, but we will not accept that he's wise and good and we won't listen to him about how we use them. I'll give you an example. Um, Okay, this story, 800 bottles of wine. Let's pick, let's pick alcohol. Wine, beer, spirits, all that stuff is the good gift of God. Psalm 104, God made wine to make glad the heart of man. Let's say the human heart. God made wine to make glad the human heart. And a few wines do. But God's wise and good. And he says like this, if you want to enjoy that, great, but there's a line. And the line is self-control. And if you cross that line... You're going to mess up your own life and you're going to mess up the lives of other people. And, and you know what? As a society, we will not listen to him. We, will, we won't. Um, if you think... Um, by the way, I'm not preaching temperance. I'm saying wine's a gift of God, beer's a gift of God. It's great. But you think of the damage that we do to one another because we won't listen to God on this one. My guess is there's a few politicians at the moment thinking about that line of self-control and if you cross it, the damage that will happen. Car accidents, pedestrians knocked over, violence, domestic violence, health problems. And I'll tell you something, if you've ever lived with a drunk, and I have, if you've ever lived with a drunk, you'll know why God says this. Or another way, i tell you what else we do, because we, we won't listen to him, we take the, the good things that God gives us and we cross out an O and we turn them into God things. We turn them into the, the meaning and the centre of our lives. Good things like money and possessions and, and 
families and, to, and, and then we, we cross out an O and we, we make it the meaning of life. But those things won't hold the weight that we put on them. You think, oh, wait, wait, you just said family. I said, yeah, that's right. If you make your family the meaning of your life, you'll either smother them with expectations or they'll let you down. You can't, it, it won't hold the weight. And also it dishonours the God who gives us those things. One last example. When I talk to people about this, very often they'll say, yeah, but I'm a good person. You know what? I'll say, yeah, I bet you are. But let me just tell you a little story and see what you think. You imagine if you think, yeah, I'm a good person. Um, in fact, I was talking to, uh, to a young guy in the city a couple of months ago. I'd, I'd met him through a, through a friend and talking to him about whether he'd like to read John's Gospel with me. And he thought, oh, he shrugged his shoulders. He said, I'm a good person. And he had a couple of teenage boys. Now, what I should have said if I'd been switched on, I should have said this to him. Um, Peter, uh, you've got a teenage son? Yep. So let's just imagine something. Imagine your teenage son is a really good boy, you know, he's 18, he's a really good boy, and he keeps all the rules of the house. Uh-huh. Yep. Good. Uh, he uh, keeps his room tidy. Yep. Uh, he does his homework. Yep. Um, mows the lawn. Yes. Uh, and when he borrows the car, he puts some petrol in it. Stretching it, but come with me. Um, uh, yeah, okay, good. All right, good. He keeps all the rules. So that is wonderful. There's just one problem. Mm-hmm. He doesn't speak to you. He doesn't speak to you. He doesn't um, respect you. He doesn't thank you for all of the things you give him. In fact, basically, he ignores you, except when the hands go out for the car keys. Now, I want to ask you, keeps all the rules, he's a good kid, but is that acceptable? And you know what Peter would have said? Not acceptable. Because I've, I've told this little story to hundreds, thousands of parents, and no one has ever come to me later and said, no, that would be acceptable in our home. It's, it's relationship, it's respect, honour, thankfulness comes first, living the good life second by a long way. Now, folks, I want to ask you, isn't that the way that we so often treat God? That we, that we take all the good things that God has and I'm just walking here today, I just thought, what a beautiful day and a beautiful place. God is so good to this city. We, we take all of the good things and then we so often don't acknowledge, thank, honour, trust him. Well, how do you deal with that? You know what, God says he cares about us. He said one day that there'll be a judgment day. God, God does care and he will hold us accountable. And Jesus warned again and again and again that if we front up before God unforgiven, there'll be hell to pay. Literally, he'll send us away. What's God's answer? Well, religious rituals, holy water, going through the motions with confirmations or first communions or christenings or just turning powerless, like those six empty jars. Jesus' answer? Do you remember back in verse 4? Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. What does he mean? You know, I said, Australians have, most Aussies have little time for church. We're not a religious country at all. But you know, we are spiritual for one hour a year. What do I mean? For one hour a year, I think we're very, as a nation, our focus is very close to the heart of God. And that hour? It's before the sun comes up on April 25. 
Now today is Remembrance Day and important to remember and what I've noticed over the last, well, I guess I've been watching 30, 40 years I suppose I could watch, interest in Anzac Day is growing year by year by year and, and a lot of the young ones come too. So uh, if you go to a Dord service and I can recommend it, I had a job in Wollongong where I, I went year by year and I've kept going in the last 10 years. I've been to most of them. This is 2015, uh, Martin Place. That year there were so many people at the dawn service. I don't know if you've ever, if you come up out of um, the Martin Place railway station and then look down to the cenotaph, it's a couple of blocks, maybe two, three hundred metres. You could have walked on the heads down to the cenotaph and not touched the ground. There were so many people. 30,000, I think, they estimated. Why? This year I, I thought, oh, I won't go to Martin Place, I'll just go to Coogee. There were probably 10,000 people there this year. And why are they there? I think it's because Anzac Day taps into something that's missing in our collective consciousness in Australia, something that we know we're missing. I'll tell you what it is. The rest of the year, we've ended up kind of... Our country's become soulless and we, we live for money or fashion or possessions or... Sorry, that's a really negative way to put it. Um, lifestyle. What's Anzac Day about? Anzac Day is about remembering courage, love, sacrifice. Courage, love, sacrifice. And we think, yeah, you know what? That, that's, that's the beating. Now, that is so close to the beating heart of God. That's my, that, so close to the beating heart of God. Uh, Jesus comes and what? Courage, love, sacrifice. His hour is about uh, giving his life for us. That's what he's saying. My hour has not yet come. If you read on to chapter 18, 19, 20, you see his hour lived out where he gives his life so that we might be forgiven. He knows what we need. He cares what we need. He's able to deliver. Now, how do you respond? Well, John says they saw his glory. They saw who he is, that, he, that he's good and wise and powerful and they believed in him or they trusted him. Let me ask you whether, it's great that you're here, let me ask you whether you've actually done that. Have you trusted him with your life? Have you found forgiveness? Do you, do you know him? Uh, I'm going to finish up now. When you open the Bible and, and actually look at the person of Jesus, it's very much like coming to a T intersection. Uh, you, you can't really just drive past Jesus and wave. At T intersection, you get there and you actually have to decide. You're going to turn one way or the other. And I want to ask you this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't given him your life, will you, will you turn towards him? And a, a way to do it is this, with a prayer. This is the way that uh, I became a follower of Jesus 30-plus uh, years ago. Let me show you. I'll take you through the prayer and I'll ask you if... You would like to pray this this morning. If you know this is true, if you know he's good and wise and can forgive us, let's see, here it is. Lord God, I ask that you would forgive me because Jesus died in my place. Please help me to live with him as my master and my friend. Amen. Now, I invite you to pray that. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it in the silence of your own heart. God knows our hearts. And so uh, I'm going to pray it sentence by sentence, and if you'd like to pray after me, please do. Perhaps I'll ask if you'd like to bow your heads. Uh, 
And pray with me if you'd like to. God promises he knows our hearts. He will hear us. So I'm going to pray. If you'd like to pray after me, please do. Lord God, I ask that you would forgive me. Because Jesus died in my place. Please help me to live with him as my master and my friend. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.